can veterans who have just a short period of active duty service qualify for VA benefits? They can. That's the short answer. The longer answer is that the shorter the period of time, the more complicated it usually is to show the relationship to service unless there's a very clear traumatic injury. How does VA define active duty service for the purpose of disability claims? Essentially, they adopt the military's designation. So if you enlist and go off to basic training, that's active duty. The, the place that active duty gets messy is for folks in the guard or reserves. Those folks really don't generally have what's typically known as active duty, rather they have active duty for training or even inactive duty for training. Welcome to the Victory Over VA podcast. A podcast about empowering veterans to overcome denied disability claims. Each week, we deliver critical insights to help you understand the disability process, veterans' benefits, and how to take control of your legal rights. Now, here's your host, Tony Francis Jackson. Welcome to Victory Over VA, your guide to unlocking your VA disability benefits. If you are a veteran applying for VA disability benefits, subscribe to the latest developments by listening to our podcast. So who are we? I'm Francis Jackson. This is Alexandra Jackson. And we're at Jackson McNichol where we practice VA disability law. So what's this about? Well, we today are going to talk about how long you need to be in the service in order to be eligible for VA disability benefits. Who is this show for? It's for veterans, but it's also for everybody who's interested in veterans, families, friends, folks who are supporting veterans around the country. So without further ado, we're going to launch in today's program. So I think this is a really common misconception. Can veterans who have just a short period of active duty service qualify for VA benefits? They can. That's the short answer. The longer answer is that the shorter the period of time, the more complicated it usually is to show the relationship to service unless there's a very clear traumatic injury. How does VA define active duty service for the purpose of disability claims? Essentially, they adopt the military's designation. So if you enlist and go off to basic training, that's active duty. The, the place that active duty gets messy is for folks in the guard or reserves. Those folks really don't generally have what's typically known as active duty. Rather, they have active duty for training or even inactive duty for training. But without getting into all the niceties, the general rule is that if you have enlisted in the service, and go off to start your basic training, from that point on, you're on active duty, even if the event that causes your problems is outside of your day-to-day -day military activities. For example, if you're on leave and have a motorcycle crash, that's still considered active duty for purposes of VA disability compensation. Okay. And if you're training for your MOS, is that still part of that? 
that's still part of your active duty as long as it's within regular military training rather than guard or reserves. Are there any minimum service requirements for disability benefits? Not for disability benefits. There are some minimum requirements for VA's separate pension program, but for VA disability compensation, there's no minimum service period. You just have to show that the illness or event occurred in or is related to your service. So service-connected benefits don't have a minimum, but non-service-connected pension does? That's correct. Okay. How does VA evaluate claims for reservists compared to active duty? Is the compensation different? Are the percentages different? No, the compensation is the same. The percentage ratings are the same. The issue is whether it's related to service. You don't get the same presumptions uh, about relationship to service that you do if you're in, in regular enlisted status with the, with the military. For folks who are in the National Guard or Reserves, for example, it depends on what kind of service you're providing. So if the National Guard is called up in California because of a flooding event, and someone is trying to rescue someone in, from the flood and gets injured in that process. That person will not be eligible for VA benefits because they were called up by the governor for state service. On the other hand, if their unit was activated by the president for any purpose, whether it's you know a local emergency for service overseas or whatever, then they are eligible for injuries that stem from that service. It, this whole that seems cheap. <laughs> well, it's intended to be. It's intended to save the government money. But you're right that it's not particularly fair, which is what you meant by that comment. But regardless, it's unfortunately the way it works. But there are lots of little permutations. So, for example, if you are in the National Guard and you just came home from your training, but you've gotten home, put away your uniform, lock the rifle away and you're off to play basketball with your son and you get run over by the truck, no coverage, no veteran benefits. On the other hand, if you're on the way home when you get hit by the truck, then you're still eligible for veterans benefits because it's within your period of training. Pretty arbitrary stuff going on here. There is. It's pretty arbitrary, but you know, it's intended to save the government money, so it can be arbitrary. Can you shed any light on misconceptions about eligibility for benefits of veterans with, you know, short active duty or, you know, folks who are reservists, et cetera, who have just kind of chunks of small amounts of active duty? Well, it depends on what's going on, obviously. But folks in the category of short service, one of the things that happens is the military takes folks in, says that they're in good enough health to serve and starts them on basic training. And then a problem that they've had before that was never debilitating becomes more serious under the stress of basic training. And what the military will do in those cases is they'll have a medical board, they'll decide that the person is not medically capable of continuing in the service, but they'll try to blame it on some prior condition and say that this person shouldn't have been taken into service to begin with. 
when in fact, most of the time, what's really going on is that it's the stress of basic training that's making the person symptomatic, not just the fact that they had some problem prior to entry into service. But those cases tend to require some real expertise to kind of tease that out and present it in a way that the VA will recognize and pay the benefits. But we have had a number of those cases and have been successful in most of them. The other half of your question about folks in the, in the Guard and Reserves, that gets much more complicated. Essentially, for folks in the Guard and Reserves, you have to show that a particular event occurred in service that shows the onset of the condition, whether it's a, for example, we had a fellow who was changing a tire on a huge truck and the jack broke and his knee got injured and the, the VA you know, said, well, he just had a brief injury and he got all better and he was fine and his problem years later was unrelated to that, but we ultimately were able to persuade them that in fact the problem actually stemmed from that original injury. But there are lots of variations of these problems with reserve and guard where people don't get the same presumptions of service connection that folks on active duty do. This sounds like you need significantly more documentation. Is that right? Often. You often do. And, you know, it's a tricky problem. We have one case that we finally won where the gentleman was a reservist and was up for training, had been in the reserves for a number of years, was actually a sergeant, but collapsed during training and was found to have diabetes and had collapsed because of very low sugar. And it took a long time to get the VA to accept that his diabetes was service-connected, but he had the report showing that he collapsed and that that was when he was found to be diabetic and that's what caused him to collapse during the service. And ultimately we were able to get the VA to acknowledge that it was service-connected, but it's much harder with reserve and guard cases. More documentation is really important. Are there any specific injuries or conditions that are actually more common for like reservists or guard members? Not that I'm aware of. The common conditions, whether active duty or reserves, on the physical side tend to be backs, knees, shoulders, feet, and on the mental health side tend to be PTSD, depression, and anxiety. And I have not seen anything that would indicate that there's a significant difference in the frequency as between regular service and guard or reserve service. What about for folks who have that short active duty where they took them with a problem and then they invalided them out. Is there a specific type of thing they're more likely to say, come on in and then we don't want to pay you for it? Well, you know, they seem to consistently do that. These medical boards will write it up as EPS, uh, existed prior to service, over and over. And we've had a number of cases where people came to us after they've been turned down because the folks at the VA said, oh, the folks at the service said this was a problem you had prior to service, had nothing to do with your service, and you're not entitled to benefits. But 
so many of those cases, the medical board was not being accurate in saying that the problem was entirely pre-existing. In fact, it was fairly obvious in some of these cases that the activities during basic training had caused the problem. Do those tend to be physical? Those tend to be physical. There, you know, there can be mental health ones. We had a case where a gentleman was taken in the service as a young man with a bullet lodged in his spine. He is a high school sophomore. He'd been in a hunting accident where a friend had a gun misfire and he had a 22 bullet lodged in his spine. The surgeon said it was too dangerous to try to take it out. You know, it's a, it's a 22 caliber bullet, so relatively small. It was lodged right against the spinal cord, but wasn't causing any symptoms. After his initial injury, he recovered and played heavy sports, football, threw the hammer, discus, that sort of thing. Went into the service wanting to make it a career, having been in, in high school OTC. And then during basic training became uh, very symptomatic and the service offered him a choice. They said, well, we can do surgery on your spine and take out this bullet or we can invalid you out. And having been told by neurosurgeons that it was very dangerous for them to try to take out the bullet. He opted to be invalided out. But his whole life plan had been to uh, emulate his father and be in the service, make that his career. And he became very depressed. And we ultimately did get him benefits, even though he was only in the service a relatively short time. But those cases just tend to be complicated and difficult. How does VA usually handle claims from veterans who had multiple brief periods of service for active duty? Well, that tends to happen primarily with folks in the Guard. The way that those things happen is that units will be called up for a period of time and then released and then called up again. That, that's been particularly true in the Iraq and Afghanistan, the whole 1980-forward Middle East series of events. And that actually can be quite difficult because a lot of times symptoms will show up kind of in between the periods of military service and the periods of service can be quite brief. But we've generally been successful in winning those cases, but they're harder. How do the approach mental health claims for folks with these shorter limited active duty exposure periods? In some ways, those actually are a little easier than the physical ones because you can often tie the mental health problems to specific events that occurred in service with these units that have been called up for active duty. It's often possible to show that specific traumatic events occurred while they were on one of these periods where they're called up for active duty. And you can tie the mental health symptoms back to those events, but not always. I mean, it, it can be difficult. Does VA offer any resources or programs for folks who have shorter active duty periods to kind of assist with those vets? Not specifically. I mean, some folks may be eligible for assistance like at the vet centers and so on, but a lot of those folks are in the Catch-22, where uh, they haven't been determined to be a disabled veteran, therefore they're not, come, they're not eligible for VA programs. Are there any legal or policy changes that impact 
eligibility or evaluation criteria for shorter term service members? Well, not yes, but no. The answer is that there are some significant changes in the law, the PACT Act in particular, which impact folks that may have had shorter periods, but it's not targeted at people with shorter periods. That's right, it's not specific to them, but it may well impact them. For example, folks who were called up for relatively short periods of service with their units in the in the Middle East, but were exposed to the burn pits where the military destroyed lots of, well, everything from damaged equipment to human waste, frankly, and released lots of carcinogenic smoke. Some folks who, even though they were there for relatively short periods, are protected by the PACT Act in that it creates a presumption that they were exposed to these burn pits and develop and are entitled to compensation for respiratory conditions, even if their unit was there for a relatively small period of time. But there's not anything specific to short periods of service. This is a little older, but there's something equivalent for Agent Orange, isn't there, with the reservists and some of the equipment? Yes, but that's a little more complicated. There can be people who served relatively short periods but were assigned to temporary duty in Vietnam, specialists on certain rocket systems, among other things. But as long as they were in Vietnam and can demonstrate that they were there, they get the presumption of exposure to Agent Orange, regardless of how long they served. So if you were in the Guard and were a specialist in a, a particular area and got called up for service, even if you weren't, you didn't serve for a long time, as long as you were exposed, you know, in Vietnam and exposed to Agent Orange, you are eligible for the various Agent Orange presumptions. The question you were asking about the reservists, that gets a little more complicated, but what has been shown is that a particular set of aircraft, the C-123, that was used in Vietnam for spraying Agent Orange, those aircraft became so impregnated with uh, Agent Orange that after they were brought back from Vietnam and taken out of the active military and transferred to use by reservists, there was so much Agent Orange in the planes themselves that folks who worked on those planes started developing Agent Orange type symptoms, whether you're talking anything from lung cancer to diabetes, and so they ultimately created a presumption that the folks who were in those crews worked on those planes were exposed to Agent Orange. But that's a much narrower and more attenuated kind of set of circumstances. What advice would you give a reservist or a veteran with a shorter term period of active duty service as far as going after a disability claim that they think is valid? Oh, I would encourage them to pursue it and to recognize that they are going to need a more persuasive body of proof than some other folks. The VA is quite resistive to giving benefits to people who served only a short period, and so you really have to have your ducks all in a row in terms of evidence in those cases. So if they're likely to be turned down at the beginning, How does the appeal process or reconsideration work for those veterans with shorter terms of service? It works exactly the same as 
for other folks. Um, the current system calls for three kinds of appeals for, from denials by the regional office, whether you're talking a brief term of service or you put in 20 years. You still have higher level review, supplemental claims, or appeals to the board. In most of those cases, I would probably expect to advise the person to take an appeal to the board because that gives you a greater opportunity to develop the evidence and to have a meaningful discussion with the judge about the case. And I think that gives you a greater likelihood of success. The statistics show that in cases where there's a hearing, there's a 10% higher likelihood of a favorable outcome. Looking forward, do you think that VA is likely to do anything about the fact that it sounds like there's a much bigger burden on folks with shorter periods of service and reserve or guard duty for getting their claims? I don't see that happening at the VA level. I mean, if that were to happen, I think it would probably take legislation from the Congress. And unfortunately, as you know, even on matters related to veterans, Congress is bitterly polarized at the moment, and it's difficult to move legislation through. There has been some talk at various times about expanding eligibility for reservists and guard members, and there have been some modest changes, but in terms of eligibility for VA disability compensation, there still remains a very significant distinction between those folks and folks on regular active duty. Do you think there's anything else coming down the pipeline folks with shorter periods might benefit from? I don't see anything on the immediate horizon. You know, there's always, if you go on the uh, internet and look for bills in the House and Senate related to veterans' disability, in any term of Congress, you'll find row after row of entries showing bills related. But I don't see anything big on the horizon at the moment. The PACT Act really greatly expanded eligibility for both people with short and ordinary terms of service. And I'm not seeing anything on the horizon that is going to be at all comparable to that in the near future. Uh, you know, politics being what it is, you can't ever rule anything out, but I'm not seeing anything in the short run. So on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode, and thank you all for watching our podcast, and come back next week. Thanks for joining us this week on the Victory Over VA podcast. Make sure to visit our website, veteransbenefits.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show while you're at it. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our free consultation to see how we can help you with your denied claim. Simply go to veteransbenefits.com and fill out the form. You fought for us. Now let us fight for you. And be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.